Welcome to the Murtering Podcast, your weekly discussion of murtering news. This is episode 562 on Tuesday, the 23rd of January, 2024. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week it is a solo show as Alan is unable to make it to the recording, unfortunately. Bad luck, everybody. Just me. And in a week where those who use the first part of the show as a running marker will need to order a taxi, we'll be still scratching our head as to why regulatory approved devices are deemed illegal. In new new car news, we have many choices to pick from for raised up plastic clad cars. And in points of interest, we find out why third time's a charm. But first, we do have two piece, or three pieces of follow-up. The first is to do with Dieselgate. And that is the news that a German environmental nature and consumer protection organization has won its case against both the Federal Republic of Germany and VW Group at the uh, Schleswig Administrative Court. This is based on the fact that the court has ruled that VW has been using an illegal defeat device on their cars since Dieselgate was first announced over eight years ago. And they said that the German Federal Motor Transport Authority approval for changes to the engine in 2016 were unlawful. It should not have been granted because they shouldn't have allowed a thermal window for when exhaust gas is are recirculated, because that is deemed an unauthorized defeat device. We've covered this before in many cases across Europe, but this is to say that this is to do with what the manufacturers say is required in engines to mean that they last longer term is that it switches off the purification below 10 degrees Celsius and above an altitude of 1,000 metres. But the court has said, no, these vehicles must function between minus 15 degrees Celsius and plus 40 degrees. Interesting that they've also said that the regulator is at fault for this because we've mentioned this several times. We are at a loss to understand how a government-approved device or test, more importantly, is not actually complying with the law. But that's what the courts have found, and I'm still waiting for somebody to be able to explain it to me in very simple terms, because I am a very simple person. And we move on from Dieselgate, but stick with Volkswagen, and this time drag in BMW. And this is the news that the UK antitrust body has won its appeal over an information request of both those companies. Back in 2022, the Competition to Market Authority fined both BMW and Volkswagen for failing to provide information uh, in relation to an investigation on whether they were colluding on when they came to end of life or when they were written off. I'm not sure what they were looking at for this, but it was was to do with anti-competitive conduct and in the recycling of old and written off vehicles. BMW and Volkswagen maintained and still maintain that because they are not based in the UK, they are based outside the jurisdiction of the CMA, they don't have to provide any of this information. The Competition Appeal Tribunal overturned the uh, original finding that said they could be fined. However, the Court of Appeal, God dear, only the lawyers are enjoying this, Uh, the Court of Appeal stated that it would be insane to think that you can't ask companies who are not based in the UK to provide information because it would be held at their head office. It just opens up the idea that, well, you just 
base yourself abroad and do whatever you like in the UK and no one can do anything about it. It's absolutely insane. BMW and Volkswagen have said that they are reviewing the Courts of Appeals judgment and considering their options. I don't know if much more you can go to after the Court of Appeal, but this is just to get the information so, so that the CMA can produce a report to say whether they believe there has been anti-competitive actions by these two companies. So we're years away from knowing what's been going on. The third and final bit of feedback is to do with last week's segment on AI and ChatGPT. Thank you so much for everyone who has let us know that you did uh, enjoy it, although enjoy is probably a strong word for it, but you liked what we did, you liked that we broke it down and it helped you understand the topic much better than you did before. Even though you've a lot of you felt it, your spidey senses have been tingling with it, uh, but this helped confirm with facts why you felt uneasy about these things. So we're really, uh, we're really pleased that that has helped so many people. I'm going to take us now into new news and the annual, oh, we only buy grey cars chart is out from SMMT. It, it says in the article from SMMT, which will be linked in the show notes as ever, grey is Britain's most popular new car colour for the sixth consecutive year topping half a million registrations. My word, monochrome was the top three, so grey, black and white. Blue was in fourth, red was fifth, silver is sixth, seventh is green, eighth is orange, ninth is yellow and tenth is bronze. I'm going to put some uh, perspective on the top ten. The grey had a total number of registrations of 509,194. Red, which is fifth, had 142,179 cars registered. And bronze, which was tenth, had 6,350. <laughs> My word. Uh, black and white were over 300,000 each as well. Oh, please, please buy more interesting colours. Oh, it's so tedious, but there we go. Oh, if you want to know um, which models were the most registered by colour, not best-selling, SMMT, come on. Again, I'll quickly run through this chart, and at number 10, the Vauxhall Mocha was black. Number 9, the Audi A3 was black. 8, the Nissan Duke, grey. 7, the Mini, black. I've, not, I've hardly seen a black Mini, oh. but I don't get out much. 6 is the Hyundai Tucson, which was grey. Five, the Tesla Model Y, white. That is a zero surprise. Fourth, the Kia Sportage, grey. Three, the Vauxhall Corsa, white. Again, totally unsurprised by that. Second, the Nissan Qashqai, grey. And number one, the Ford Puma, grey. <laughs> God, so depressing. Anyway, moving on. And this almost could have been a follow-up, but the EU investigators are going to visit some of the Chinese manufacturers in China to check out whether the information they have provided to the review into Chinese anti-competitive practices or alleged anti-competitive practices hold out to be true or not. And they are going to visit apparently BYD, Geely and SAIC, but not Tesla, Renault and the likes of BMW. Amazingly, this has caused a reaction from China. Obviously, they mentioned quite a while ago that they are 
incredibly unhappy with the investigation in the first place. They're unhappy with the timescale. They're unhappy with the lack of uh, notice and for being pushed into trying to uh, respond or answer questions from the EU. They feel that these investigations don't follow the EU and WTO rules. They're going that strongly. And they don't forget they have gently threatened the EU that if there are any measures, it must be in proportion. But this is the EU suddenly realizing that China holds so much power <laughs> over the car industry and is belatedly doing something. We're not going to know for a couple of years or so whether the uh, the outcomes of this investigation, I don't believe. And by that time, a larger percentage of the market will be taken up by Chinese uh, EVs. It's not even horse and stable door and closing and all this sort of stuff. It's, it's, well, it's not even that close to it. It's so late. So late and we'll do so little. But sticking with the EU, and this is the news that in 2027, electric vehicles will need something called a battery passport to enter the EU. This is brand new ones, by the way. So this is manufacturing. The idea behind this is to give a greater visibility of what has gone into the battery, what has happened throughout the supply chain process every step of the way up to the point where you as the buyer can actually get your hands on the car. Um, there's supposed to be different levels of visibility for different groups. So the, the manufacturer themselves will get the full information from where it was mined or can get the full information from where it is mined all the way through to it's been put in the battery and the battery has now been shipped to the car maker's factory to be put into a car. Then you will have the likes of the dealer can see certain amounts as well. And then you as the consumer will be allowed to see certain bits of that in a more general, um, in a, a general high level. This is to try and help reassure everybody and show transparency and visibility of what has happened as a society and companies can now know what's happening down the supply chain line. They're going to use, this is going to be connected through to the VIN number of the car and a, oh goody, QR code. Brilliant idea, because they can't be gamed at all. Sigh. And from that, it will link back into a system that has uh, been produced by Circular, which has helped create this whole system. And one thing that I am a little bit at a loss with is that it also says that, I'm trying to find it in this Autocar article that's linked, battery passports can also be set up to bypass the initial supply chain and manufacturing elements and focus instead on everything that happens to the battery from manufacturing onwards. Now, I don't know, because this doesn't go into more detail, whether that is just so that the different groups see different elements of what has happened, or whether there is a proportion of this where you can, from the very start, go, oh, we're not going to bother recording where we mined the metals uh, and ship them from to get to the point. We're only going to worry about when we actually have the battery and what happens then. I'm hoping that's connected to the fact that certain groups only see certain levels of information. Because if it isn't, then it makes the passport completely pointless. But uh, hopefully that's not going to be the case. 
that will come in in February 2027, which is a month after the tariffs will be imposed for vehicles that have their batteries made or they have to get under 45%. The value of their product must be built in the EU. The thing that just got delayed at the back end of December from the UK and the EU. This will come into place uh, a month after that. Rounding out the news, we have to say congratulations to Lorraine Bishton as she has been appointed the Managing Director of Subaru UK. She has previously worked with Ford, Jaguar Land Rover and McLaren Special Operations. Uh, And in that last role, she was Sales Marketing Director there. 2023 was a a big year for Subaru where they actually registered quite a number of, uh, they were up, I think, 76% of registrations on 2022 and now obviously as they go all in for electric then this is going to be a a new and interesting period for Subaru and see if they can maintain their Subaru-ness but then become more popular. I mean we're going to talk about one of their vehicles in New New Car News and the disparity between different markets and how, how these markets view Subaru. So congratulations to Lorraine Bishton and the very best of luck there. That means, and I do apologise to all the runners out there, as I said earlier, that that means that we are at Guilt Minute and this is the quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel that the Motoring Podcast is worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. Different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. Lucky you. We also have a small range of merchandise in our spring store from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash and we completely understand, then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all that, and some of you do, thank you very much, then the last thing you can do is recommend us to your friends and colleagues. Thank you everybody that does. And once again, thank you to all the new patrons. Your support is awesome. New New Car News. And this could just be called New New SUV News this this week. But I'm going to start the lengthy bit of raised up plastic club cars with the four Cougar. And they have revised the looks externally and improved the technology inside, which makes their quite popular family SUV. That's the size of the Tiguan or the Tucson, the Hyundai Tucson, that sort of size. And it's uh, very shortly about to go on sale. It's going to have Ford Sync 4 infotainment system added into it. So that brings it up to date with the Focus and the e-Transit. It's supposed to be much more powerful than the outgoing Sync 3. It will have Apple CarPlay and Android Auto uh, mirroring as well as, if you so desire, Amazon's Alexa voice assistant in there. Oh, here we go. And I'm quoting from the Auto Car article that is linked in the show notes if you want to read more. All physical climate controls except for the front window demister have been moved to the touchscreen. Yay! Oh, dear. There's going to be uh, some new powertrains as well. There's going to be a four-wheel drive hybrid powertrain. That comes with 180 brake horsepower, which is the same as the front-wheel drive hybrid, 
uh, but that's down on the previous model by seven brake horsepower. Uh, but it cuts the 0 to 62 mile per hour sprint time to 8.3 seconds if that is important to you for a family SUV. There are small, according to this article, again, there are small improvements in the fuel economy and CO2 emissions. The front wheel drive hybrid will get you an extra two mile per gallon compared with what it did previously. They talk about how it will have best in class towing ability up to 2,100 kilograms. What they're saying to compare that, the Tiguan is up to 2,000 and the Sportage is up to 1,500 kilograms. They're actually going to come in slightly less than the previous model. The entry-level titanium model is priced at £32,080, which is £1,300 less than previously. Excellent. For all those who like to slap on some chrome, bad news, the Vignali has been axed. There is no more of that. Sticking with SUVs crossovers, the new Hyundai Bayon, as that gets a technology and interior upgrades as well as a slight change to the exterior looks. It was launched in 2021. You hardly see these. I don't understand why, because it seems a really good size, because it's the small SUV crossover in the Hyundai range. Uh, it's based on the i20, and now it has more front and rear passenger comfort and space. They've upgraded the technology inside. So whilst you still get Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, there's USB-C ports as well as the USB-A. Um, there's an eight-speaker Bose sound system. There is going to be the obligatory, if you want to get anywhere near five NCAP stars, the driver assistance tech, lane keeping assist for collision assist, navigation-based adaptive cruise control and blind spot monitoring. This going up against the likes of the Ford Puma and the Peugeot 2008. It now has the brand's new LED light bar and seamless horizontal light signatures. Oh goody, they vajazzled the front. Lovely. I cannot express my disgust for full-width LED lights on cars. Just We've got enough lights out the front of cars now. Please stop it. <laughs> All car manufacturers, just because you can doesn't mean you should. They're going to be fitted with all of them. Uh, all the models are going to be fitted with the one litre turbocharged three cylinder petrol engine and a 48 volt mild hybrid that will give, depending on which model you get, uh, between 99 brake horsepower and 118. The pricing is expected to start where it is at the moment, which is 21,570. Okay, SUV again, this time VW's new Tiguan. They will start, according to this car article, uh, from 34,000 in the UK, that's 34,060 pounds. Something I didn't realize until I started reading this article, but the Tiguan outsells the Golf. You could see how this is quite important to the Volkswagen brand. Uh, they have made improvements to the inside, well, improvements we say. They've followed along with the likes of the Passat, where they've stuck the huge screen in and hidden a lot of things behind a touchscreen, although there are a few quick touch buttons at the bottom for things like the climate control. And also the, these controls are now backlit, which I don't know how anyone at Volkswagen thought that wasn't a good idea, but they've listened to feedback <laughs> or towering rage, I think, as it's otherwise known, on how, how difficult it was to use their systems at night. This is going to sell well. You're going to see it at every outside every school gate. You're going to see them in 
company car parks. You're going to see them in the supermarket car parks. They're going to be everywhere. There is going to be a host of powertrain options from a 1.5 TSI petrol all the way up to a, the hybrid of 268 brake horsepower. Oh my word, they don't half like to complicate things, Volkswagen. There's also obviously going to be the R line, which is their top of the range, which makes them all kind of fancy looking and sporty looking. They start from, as I said earlier, £34,060 and they run up. If you go for the R line, they start at 39680 Subaru. Not only did they announce a new MD, but they announced that they were bringing the Crosstrek over to the UK and it's replacing the XV. It is going to cost slightly more than the XV and it is going to be £34,290. Now this is over in the US and I have notes from our US correspondent who says that they are a New England favourite. They are 10 a penny there and that is the land where Subaru dealers can be bigger than Ford dealers in America. Amazing. It just screams of lifestyle. It's a jacked up, even more jacked up now, but jacked up estatey thing, hatchback estatey, fastbacky thing. <laughs> That reminds me and looks actually to the last Volvo V40 that was out, the front end particularly, but looks pretty cool with bits of plastic cladding on. You know we love plastic cladding on the Motoring Podcast. It's also got their frameless grille, um, which looks pretty good. Technology-wise, it's going to have the updated um, EyeSight active safety system. These are said to operate more smoothly and quickly than before. There's a 11.6 inch infotainment touchscreen with obviously with the standard um, smartphone mirroring. There's going to be a two litre four cylinder boxer petrol engine. That's 134 brake horsepower with a 0 to 62 time of 10.7 seconds. And it is going to utilize a CVT as the XV did. Hopefully, this one doesn't have the fake gear changes because I really disliked that personally. Prices are going to start, as I said, from 34290 and they will uh, jump all the way up to 36290 for the Touring trim. And, and it won't be long now until the sixth generation Subaru Forester comes out and is revealed to us. Sticking with yet another SUV, and this is KGM. They used to be Sanyong, but they've done a full rebrand, and they're now called KGM. And they're bringing out a, their SUV, the Torres. It's a 4x4 that's going to arrive in both internal combustion engine and EV platforms. And it is going to sit between the Corando and the Rexton that they still actually produce. It's going to have a 1.5-litre four-cylinder turbo petrol engine or with, that is going to be matched up with to a six-speed automatic gearbox. going to have 161 brake horsepower and get from 0 to 62 in 10.8 seconds. It's going to initially arrive just as front-wheel drive, and then there will be four-wheel drive versions in the summer. The electric version, dubbed the Torres EVX, um, will get more futuristic uh, look. It's not going to have normal-looking headlights. That's going to be swapped out for LED light bars. Goody. That's going to come with a 73.4 kilowatt per hour battery pack delivering a range of up to 287 miles. We don't know things like the maximum charging rate for this 
but it should or it is expected to match close to the Corando E-Motion, which was capped at 100 kilowatts for charging. It's going to get two 12.3-inch displays, one for infotainment and the other is the instrument panel. It's going to have uh, 1,662 litres of load space. I don't know whether that's up to the bottom of the windows or the top of the windows. A 60-40 split rear seats. KGM is claiming to have the highest level of structural safety in the class because the chassis is comprised of 81% high tensile steel. That doesn't sound expensive to fix if it gets bent. Have, again, as I was saying uh, before with one of the other vehicles, it's going to, uh, with the Bayon, it's going to have the expected driver assistance tech that all these vehicles come in. We don't know the price yet, but the... KGM Corando is 25,540 and the Rexton is 40,500 in internal combustion engine. The expectation is somewhere in between, say, 33,000, but we'll have to wait and see. And also expect the EV version to be around about the 40K mark. Some good news from Mazda, and they announced at the uh, Tokyo Auto Salon, that they have a new offshoot, a sub-brand, Mazda Spirit Racing. This is all about slightly pokier and faster versions of their models. They revealed an uh, Mazda 3 and an MX-5, which looked rather good with a very light flat grey paint scheme with a big black stripe starting about a third of the way up the bonnet towards the windscreen and then going over the roof and back over the boot. Um, and then they've got front splitters, which have this little red strip right in the middle. You know, like at the top of racing wheels, there's always that strip. Well, there is in the, if you look at the pictures of this uh, Top Gear article, you'll see in the, that there is a red strip at the top of these Mazda wheels. And that red strip is matched in the middle at the bottom lip of the air intake on the front of both the cars, making it just give it a little bit of a little bit of pop visually. There's no news yet of these coming out, or if they will, or whether this was just a this is what we could do, but we don't know if we are. Anyway, go to Mazda and say, yes, please, please do this. Pretty please with sugar on top. Because if we don't, we're not going to get them. <laughs> and then when they do do that, we have to go out and buy them. And it's very easy for me to sit here and say, go buy them, which I won't be in a position to do. But if you are, do, please. I hope these are as good as they look. Sticking now with, well, we move on to new, new platform news, I think, if I stretch the, stretch the naming. And Stellantis have revealed their STLA platform. This is going to come in four versions. They're called small, medium, large, and frame. And they are meant to unify all the brands under a set of architectures based on size. There is a chart in this car article that I, I encourage you to have a look at because I think they could have renamed them instead of small, medium, large, and frame. They could have gone like this, but how they've actually indicated what is each. The small one is going to be efficient city mobility, and they've got a picture of a Corsa. Medium is for premium vehicles. Large is for all-wheel drive performance and American muscle. And frame is for capability and practicality, and they've got a huge 
RAM pickup demonstrating that, but I would uh, imagine that that is also going to be the basis for their vans. They're talking about, because one of the headline grabbing one was the large platform, um, because that was talking about performance vehicles, and they they said that it's going to be capable of 500 miles or acceleration times as low as two seconds. It's going to be either or 400 or 800 volt architectures. So that means that things will be able to be charged quicker. But 500 miles sounds great. Acceleration as low as two seconds. Well, are we not over that yet? Come on. Don't say you have to do that just to make EVs interesting to potential buyers who are used to internal combustion engines. We can do better than that by now, surely. But this does sound interesting. Uh, and hopefully they ha- they do get close to these capabilities that they're talking about as far as range goes. Because they're even with the small ones, they they want a target of 300 miles. So if you've got your Corsa or your 500e or the likes of that, they can do 300 miles. That is just a great thing for us, for the consumer, especially if they can competitively be, they can be priced competitively as well. Okay, that takes us into points of interest. And the lunchtime read is from Car Design News. And for the second week on the trot, I'm recommending something from Drew Smith. Because if you remember last week, I uh, suggested watching the Looking Out review of the Tesla Cybertruck and uh, what it meant, as well as reading the article that was linked in the show notes. But this is titled, In the Race to be Cool, Quality and Coherence Are Being Left Behind. This is all to do with CES. It sort of echoes what we were saying last week, particularly the discussions about why they, not the tech itself, but why were they thinking that this tech was appropriate? Why did people feel, people who were making decisions in car companies think this will, this will help make people excited about our brands when it just looked like desperation and panicking? So they've just heard the latest buzzwords and went, yeah, let's throw them in because that will make us look cool and hip and just not getting what consumers want. And I think that's one of the things that comes clear in this article. It's a really good article. I obviously am recommending that you read it, but it makes some very interesting points and should uh, cause car companies to sit and stop a bit and maybe think about things before they start just going with a scattergun approach and just hoping something comes off because that's what it appears like the Germans are doing at the moment. List of the week comes from Autocar and Colin Goodwin has created a list titled The Greatest Machines with 100 Horsepower or Less. And this is machines. So we're stepping a little bit out of motoring here with one or two of the options. However, it's just fabulous to look at what actually has or had less than 100 horsepower to do things and there's 30 slides i am going to pick and i'm doing this one because i i love them but two because i think what this vehicle actually enabled is amazing and then you put on top of it it had less than 100 horsepower way less than 100 horsepower the transformation it has made to lives is phenomenal. And that's the Massey Ferguson TE20 tractor. Wonderful things. My grandparents had one 
in a barn that was occasionally fired up back in the day, but it was awesome thing. There's, there's loads of different vehicles in here. Don't forget to let me know if what you would pick out of here doesn't have to be for importance, but I just felt that the, the tractor is such an astonishingly important vehicle for the human world. And sometimes we possibly forget these things. So let me know what you would pick out of this list as well. And that leaves an and finally. And I know we don't cover motorsport anymore because we've fallen out of love with certain ones and we don't follow other ones. And there are people out there who do a much better job. If it's rallying, follow Dirt Rally and Colin because they do a fantastic job. If it's endurance racing and sports car racing, then you need to follow uh, Midweek Motorsport, obviously, and everything they do and everything they provide, talking to which I think it is Daytona 24 this weekend. So I'm looking forward to that. But I digress. This is to do with the fact that Audi has won the Dakar Rally at the third attempt now. And this makes Carlos Sainz Sr. continuing to be the oldest champion because he won at the age of 61. And that was his fourth victory. He won in 2010, 2018 and 2020. He is one, he's the first person to win with four different manufacturers. So he won with Volkswagen, Peugeot and Mini. And this was the 671 brake horsepower purpose-built RS Q e-tron. It was a very much electrified Audi effort and Carlos Saint Senior won by one hour, 20 minutes and 25 seconds. Sebastian Loeb was third uh, and obviously the Paris, uh, sorry, the Dakar race is just a phenomenal thing that still takes place. It's amazing that it does. Uh, um, and to, for Audi to do that with a very much, okay, they've done lots of testing, but untested vehicle is amazing. So congratulations to everybody involved in that. And by all accounts, according to this article from Top Gear, that will be Audi dipping out probably because they're going to be concentrating on F1. I don't know why, but whatever. However, that void may be filled because Ford is apparently very interested in doing something with the Dakar race, um, maybe along the Raptor route. So we'll see what happens there. Maybe science can win with a fifth manufacturer. <laughs> that rounds it out, actually, uh, for this week. So don't forget, between now and next time, you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts with the show. It's at Motoring Podcast on Twitter. We're on Instagram, and we are also on LinkedIn. You can also get in touch with us via the contact page of uh, our website, motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Remember, you can support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Best way to get in touch with Alan is, I believe, a Blue Sky or Twitter, where he is uh, at AJP Bradley. That's B R A D L E Y. And if you want to get in touch with me, it's either Twitter um, or LinkedIn. But on Twitter, I will uh, you can find me uh, via Cracked Windscreen. Uh, LinkedIn, I'm under my own name. Um, we'll be back very soon. Uh, but until then, he's not been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues and safe motoring.